I think one of the most profound questions you can consider in life is how do you want to be remembered? When people think of your name, what image or thoughts come to their mind? And as you go through life and as you live life and as you raise your kids, what do you want your family, your friends to remember you by? You know, what kind of legacy do you want to leave behind? How you live now is determining how you're going to be remembered tomorrow. And so my question to you is, how do you want to be remembered? Do you want to be known for your intelligence? Do you want to be remembered for the great education that you received? Do you want to be remembered for how well you can articulate words or Maybe you want to be remembered for how well you're organized. Maybe you want to be remembered as the person that is always kind and thoughtful to other people. I think inside each and every one of us, we all want to live a life of greatness. Where when we look back upon our lives, we can smile and think that you lived well and that people are going to remember you. See, greatness can be defined differently for each person. For one person, you may be driven by success, and how successful your career is is going to determine just how great you are. Or maybe you're driven by the perception that people have for you. And so everything you do is carefully calculated. And as I was thinking about how we all want to live a life where each of us is going to be remembered for something that we did. I started looking for some words of wisdom, something that, that people said that, that are lasting words, words that were written down to encourage and, and give us better insight on how people wanted to be remembered. And I'm, I'm getting a lot of rain, so I'm not sure if you want to turn me down in the monitors here. But. And so I started thinking about last words that people have said, that people had written down, and people that wanted to share with family and friends, and how they wanted to give advice, they wanted to bring comfort, they wanted to encourage others. And so they spoke these words that, that they hoped would resonate within them, and, and that they would remember for the rest of their lives. And so I began to search the internet for this profound wisdom, and these last sayings, and I came across some epitaphs that people had written on their tombstones, and I want to share with you a couple of them this morning of how people wanted to be remembered. The last words they always wanted to be remembered by. In London, England, there is a cemetery that had an inscription that said, Here lies Anne Mann, who lived an old maid but died an old man. An epitaph written in Maryland said, Here lies an atheist, all dressed up and no place to go. In a New Mexico cemetery, one inscription said, Here lies Johnny Yeast. Pardon me for not rising. In Uniontown, Pennsylvania, in an epitaph read the inscription, here lies the body of Jonathan Blake, stepped on the gas instead of the brake. I know going go-karting, gas is on the right, brake is on the left, right? I mean, 
in a Georgia cemetery, there was one that said, I told you I was sick, right? <laughs> John Penny's epitaph read, Reader, if cash thou art in want of any, dig four feet deep and thou will find a penny. And then someone determined to be anonymous in Stowe, Vermont, had this inscription. I was somebody. Who is none of your business? <laughs> Some of these last words were written so that people would remember who they were. Some of these were funny, some are silly, and some are just sad. And when we look at a tombstone and read their epitaphs, it's our way of looking back on that person's life and remembering who they were. We remember who they were and what they did. We get a glimpse of their life. We get a glimpse of the way they lived. And when I think of living a life of greatness, I, I think of the legacy that we are leaving on to our children and to our grandchildren. And a legacy can be an inheritance, like a gift of property or money, but it's also defined as something from the past, something that is handed down from one generation to the next generation. And our legacy, it includes more than just passing wealth on to someone else. It, it means that we pass along our, our character, our traits like integrity, our courage, our, our compassion that we have with others. We, we pass along our values and beliefs, things that we feel are, are good or bad, the things that we, we look at and say, you know what, I should go after, I should seek after, or I should try to abstain and avoid after. We pass on those things. And we also pass on to others our faith in God. And what this means is that you and I, we are all living a legacy. What will your children, what will your grandchildren, what are your friends and neighbors going to remember about you? What will the world at large remember how you lived your life? And what are you going to hand down to the next generation and the future generations that are coming after you? Because the reality is, you and I, every person, is leaving a legacy. And the question is, what type of legacy do you want to leave? However you want to frame that question, the truth is that right now, you and I are creating the legacy that we are going to be handing down to our children, our grandchildren, and the future generations. And so will you stand with me this morning in honor of reading the Word of God. In 1 Peter 3, starting in verse 8, it says, Finally, everyone must live in harmony, be sympathetic, love each other, have compassion, and be humble. Don't pay back with evil for the evil they do to you, or ridicule those who ridicule you. Instead, bless them because you were called to inherit a blessing. People who want to live a full life and enjoy good days must keep their tongue from saying evil things and their lips from speaking deceitful things. They must turn away from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. Let's pray. 
Father, I pray this morning, God, that we would live a full, rich life. God, and the way to do that is found in you. And so, God, as we look at living a life of greatness, God, I pray that your words would just jump off the pages and speak to our hearts. And God, that we would understand, Lord, that it's in you and it's through you and it's by you that we can live a life of greatness. And so, God, I pray, may you help us to realize that and may you help us to live it each day of our lives. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. This morning, as we look at living a a life of greatness, I want you to understand that my godly character will lead me to a life of greatness. When I choose to to have godly character, it's going to lead me to a life of greatness. See, my character, my conduct, when I make it a priority in my life, At the end of my days, I will be able to look back upon my life and I'll be able to say that I lived a great life. I lived a life of greatness. And in our culture that we live in today, it seems that character doesn't seem to matter as much. We live in a day where people would rather run Ponzi schemes and and try to make a quick buck and cheat people out of money so, so that they can get rich rather than being an honest person and making a good name for themselves. And the perception is that we've allowed this attitude to kind of sink in and and permeate throughout Christianity that we could live in a way like that and still be a good Christian witness. And the truth is, we can't. See, too many people undervalue character and they overvalue capability. The desire for our own personal integrity and character seems like it's at a low. You know, what people could get away with 40 years ago seems like, you know, let's, let's do it now. We can do it all right. In Proverbs 22.1, it says, A good reputation and respect are worth much more than silver and gold. And that's important to understand that as we try to live a life of greatness, that greatness doesn't come because of silver and gold. Greatness comes how we live, how people treat us, but more importantly, how we treat others by respect and the reputation that we live. See, how we live our lives, the the things we say and do, how people look at you and I, it should matter to us because it matters to God. We shouldn't be trying to just make a good reputation for ourselves, but we should strive to build godly character. See, we put a great amount of value on a person's reputation, but there's, there's a vast difference between reputation and character. Abraham Lincoln said, character is like a tree and reputation its shadow. The shadow is what we think it is and the tree is the real thing. See, reputation is what we try to live up to. People will give us our own reputation, but character is who you really are. 
Your character will come out by the way you live. See, your reputation is what precedes you. Your character is what remains when you're gone. Reputation is made in a moment, yet character is built in a lifetime. See, reputation, it grows like a mushroom. And character, it grows like an oak tree. Your reputation is learned in an hour. Yet your character doesn't come to light for over a year. See, reputation is what men say about you at a funeral. Character is what's said about you in the presence of God. And reputation is what men think you are. Your character is what God knows you to be. See, there is a big difference between reputation and character. And how we live and the character you possess speaks volumes to those around you. See, when you live a life of greatness, your character will impact generations to come. A well-built character and conduct is going to impact future generations. But it's also fair to say that a flawed character and has an equally devastating effect upon future generations. There was a man named Max Jukes who didn't believe in religion and he married a girl of the same opinion. And from this marriage came 1,026 descendants. 300 of these descendants had died prematurely. 100 of them were sent to prison. 190 of them sold themselves to vices. 100 of them were drunkards. And the family cost the state of New York $1.1 million. That's a lot of money. In contrast, another man, Jonathan Edwards, he believed in God and married a girl of the same opinion. And from their marriage came 729 descendants. 300 of these descendants became preachers. 65 were college professors. 13 were university presidents, 6 became authors, 3 were U.S. congressmen, and 1 was the vice president of the United States of America. See, how you live your life and the character that you display to your children and your grandchildren, your co-workers, your neighbors, is going to impact generations to come. And when you live a life of godly character, you will see a life of greatness. Secondly, my godly convictions are going to lead me to a life of greatness. See, a conviction is the practice of your faith and it's the, the certainty of your beliefs. And what you believe and value will be a legacy for the future generations. And I want you to understand that there is a difference between a conviction and a preference. A conviction is a, a strong belief. It's, it's held with great strength. It's an unshakable belief in something that, that doesn't need proof or evidence. And you can give your life in, in a full-time way to the service of your conviction. And yet a preference, though it is a strong belief too... You can change your preferences under the right circumstances. Circumstances like peer pressure. 
Circumstances like family that puts pressure on you. Circumstances like being threatened or being thrown in with a lawsuit. Being threatened with jail or even being threatened with death is going to make you change your preferences. I may have the preference that, that steak is a lot better than chicken. And I may choose to eat steak every time I go out to eat. But if you're going to threaten me by throwing me in jail because of my preference for steak over chicken, I will start choosing chicken every time, right? I mean, my preference is just a preference. I can still like chicken. See, there's a strong difference between a conviction and a preference. A conviction is a belief that you're not going to change. No matter what someone says, no matter what they say, no matter what someone tries to do, it's your conviction. You're not going to change it. A conviction is not something that you discover. It's something that you purpose in your heart. It's something that you believe. And the conviction starts on the inside. And as it starts on the inside, it's always going to show up on the outside. They'll always carry over into your lifestyle. In Deuteronomy 6, verse 6, it says, Write these commandments that I've given you today on your hearts. Get them inside of you and then get them inside of your children. Talk about them wherever you are, sitting at home or walking in the street. Talk about them from the time you get up in the morning to when you fall into bed at night. Tie them on your hands and foreheads as a reminder. Inscribe them on the doorposts of your homes and on your city gates. See, God wants us to have godly convictions. And it comes from understanding who He is, understanding the Word of God, and getting them inside of us. And as we get them inside of us, then we can share and tell them to our children and model it to them. See, a conviction is about getting it inside of you so that it comes out of your everyday life. So that when you're walking around, people notice. When you're at work, the way you talk, the way you act, people notice. They see a difference. See, God instructs us to put His commandments, to hide His Word in our hearts, to impress them upon our children, to teach them what they mean. See, God wants us to be a part. He wants those convictions to be a part of our everyday life. He wants us to continually do it, whether we are at home or whether we're in the car, when we wake up and when we go to sleep. And in other words, any time, any place is a good time and a good place to talk about God. See, if we want to live a life of greatness, we need to be sharing with our children. We need to be sharing with others what the Word of God says. We need to be living it out. See, when we allow God's word to come out of our lives, then we'll be developing those godly convictions. See, a conviction is the foundational principles and beliefs that we build upon our lives. And a conviction has absolute confidence and, and certainty. A conviction builds passion and enthusiasm into our lives. 
So how can we live a life of greatness? In your notes, I said, become a passionate follower of Christ. And here at Woodland, we, we use that word every day. It's just a part of who we are. It's, it's being a disciple of Jesus. It's, it's following him. And I was looking at the word passionate. Another word was joy. And I thought, well, what a great word to describe that, to be a Christ follower, that there is joy when you follow after Christ. See, our journey to greatness begins in the heart. And with a relationship with Christ. And by accepting Him and being a passionate follower of Christ, your children, your neighbors, your co-workers, they're going to notice how you live. They're going to notice that there's something different, that you don't act the same way, you don't talk the same way as your co-workers. And they're going to eventually aspire maybe to do the same. One of Jeanette's co-workers this year, she was teaching sixth grade science with her other sixth grade teachers. They got really close together. And at the end of the year, one of her teachers was giving away gifts to their team. And, and she gave away wine glasses to the entire sixth grade team. And, and as she presented the gift to, to Jeanette, she said, listen, she said, this here, this is your sweet tea glass. She goes, I know you don't drink. This is your sweet tea glass. She watched Jeanette all year long. She saw how she handled herself. She saw how she acted with the students. She noticed something different. In Psalm 112, it says, How joyful are those who fear the Lord and delight in obeying His commandments. Their children will be successful everywhere. And an entire generation of godly people will be blessed. What a great word. How joyful it is to love God. When we become passionate followers of Christ, there is a joy. And that joy should radiate out of us and, and other people should see it. Amen. Jeanette was wrapping up her last days of school this year and at their final personal development day, her principal gathered the whole school together and wanted to recognize each individual that worked there and gave a personal award to each individual. When she got to Jeanette, she gave her the award for always smiling, even when I know you have a migraine. <laughs> Jeanette gets migraines all the time, I, I believe, because of lack of sleep. And there's many days she would go into school with a severe headache or a migraine. And her principal would know it, her fellow teachers would know it, her students would know it. And here they watched her serve joyfully. Because that's her ministry. She's doing it for God. They could see the joy in her life. There's a saying, do as I say, not as I do. And unfortunately, we follow more of do as I do, right? And when we model what it means to be a passionate follower of Christ, the Bible says that our children will be successful and an entire generation will be blessed. Also, I want you to recognize the needs and respond with compassion Recognize the needs of those around you and respond to them with compassion and 
and action. As you talk with your neighbors, as you work with your coworkers, they're going to share, they're going to open up with you, and they're going to tell you some things, and they may get so open, and you're going to be like, whoa, I don't need to know all that, right? But they're going to share, and they're going to open, and they're going to reveal their needs. They're going to tell you what's going on in their lives, and we're there to help respond in compassion, to show them compassion. In Matthew 9, 36, it says, When he, being Jesus, saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus is ministering. He's in the trenches, working with people, hanging out, talking with people. And as he's talking with them, he just sees the need. And he acts and responds with compassion. As we go about our lives, as we walk down our streets and our our neighbors are hanging out on their porches or in their garage, as we walk and we talk with our neighbors and they begin to open up and share, respond with compassion. Respond with compassion. Because the same compassion that we receive from Christ is the same compassion that we should show to others. And then third, give to others. Give to others. And this can include monetary gifts as well, but give of your time. Give of your time. We do want to say thank you to everyone that helped participate and and lead and and whatever area you did this week at VBX. It was an incredible week where kids came and heard about God and heard about the love that Jesus has for them. You know, my son brought two friends and they were excited and and they came on Wednesday night and had an incredible time. And and it was because of your sacrificial giving of your time that, that these kids got to hear about Jesus. Give of your time. Give the greatest gift of all. Give your love. By having God's love in our heart, we will want to help others and spread His love by doing so. When we do this, our children will see how we act. The children, our children will see how we respond. And early in life, they're going to notice the importance of giving. They're going to see the importance of giving to others and sharing God's love. And when they see it done by you, they're going to start doing it. In Hebrews 13, 16, it says, Do not forget to do good and to help one another, because these are the sacrifices that please God. It's kind of funny that we have to put in there, don't forget to do good and help one another. It's like, shouldn't that be the common thing of our lives, that when we see someone in need, that we help them? We should help one another. Do good deeds. See, we should give to others. We should teach our children how to give. Teach them how to tithe at an early age, even if it's just an allowance. Teach them the importance of tithing, even if it's just pennies. Last night I was talking with um, my son, and we were talking about tithing and, and talking about 10% giving back to God because it's His. And, 
And he asked, he goes, well, what if it's like a half a penny, you know, like the 10%, what do I do? He's like, I don't know. How do you give a half a penny? I said, you don't. I said, God's more interested in, in the heart of your giving than the money that you're giving. I said, so round up, right? I said, don't worry about it. Just round up. It's a half a penny. It's okay. I said, God wants your heart. Understand that. God wants your heart. And when you can give, that means he has your heart. Teach them the importance of giving early on, even if it's just pennies every week. Teach them to participate in acts of kindness. Have them go out and pick up the trash you see in your neighbor's yard. Or if it's garbage day, you know, and you see the garbage can still sitting at the end of the driveway, have them go and bring them back up to the neighbor's house. Just different acts of kindness, little things done over the course of time will make an impact in someone's life. Donate toys and clothes. You know, this not only helps to teach them the importance of giving, but it also helps declutter your home. We were able to give away several bags of clothes yesterday to some of our nieces and nephews, and our kids were excited. They're like, I think they're going to like this outfit, and I think they're going to like that outfit. And, and it was awesome. We decluttered our house, and we told them, listen, if you don't like the clothes, it's not going to hurt our feelings. You know, give them to someone else, bless someone else with it. But we're teaching our kids to give in different ways. And then fourth, teach your children gratitude. There's always something to be thankful for. Each evening when we're putting our kids to bed, Jeanette has the habit of asking our children before we pray with them, she asks them, what are you thankful for that day? What is it that day that you're thankful for? And it's such a joy to hear them share what touched their heart that day. You know, it could be something simple like, you know, I'm just thankful that I was able to play today or play video games, right? Or, or maybe it was a meal that we had. But teach them to be grateful. Teach them to say please and thank you and to show gratitude early on. Because when they learn early on, they're going to be able to appreciate later on in life. In 1 Thessalonians 5.18, it says, Be cheerful no matter what. Pray all the time. Thank God no matter what happens. This is the way God wants you who belong to Christ Jesus to live. And that can be hard. How can you be cheerful no matter what happens to you? Right? How can you give God thanks no matter what happens? Because life is hard. There's going to be difficulties in life. And how are you thankful for that? Well, no, you don't have to be thankful for the difficulties. But you can find something to be thankful for in the midst of those difficulties. Last night, Jeanette was driving to the store to go buy some groceries. And as she gets to the store, she calls me and she says, my car is starting to act up. I said, that's not good. She goes, I'm going to go shopping and I'll call you when I get back to see if it starts or not. I said, okay. So she goes shopping at the grocery store and about an hour later she calls me. 
She goes, my key's stuck in the ignition and it won't start again. Two weeks ago, we had it in this getting taken care of for the same problem. How are you thankful, right? How are you cheerful in that situation? We got it jump-started and took it back and I said, listen, we were just here a couple weeks ago with the same exact problem. I'm mad. I told him, I said, do you know how frustrating this is? So I'm really upset. I said, do you have a loaner for us? No, we don't. I said, now I'm really upset, right? We need two cars. We got two different things going. I got to be here early. She's got to do stuff, right? We need another vehicle. How can you give God thanks in the midst of that? You find different ways. We're thankful for family that has an extra vehicle that we can take, right? On a moment's notice. We're thankful that we have cell phones that you can call and and be able to show up. We're thankful that jumper cables started the car, right? You find ways to be thankful. And so underline that, no matter what. Underline that there. Give God thanks, no matter what. Find different areas in your life where you can be thankful. Even in the midst of the hard times, even in the midst of the times where you're just shouting at God, going, why in this world is this happening to me? There are still blessings that God is giving out to you. And so find ways to be cheerful. And then I said this, use the gifts and abilities that God has given you. Use the gifts and abilities that God has given you. You know, it was great to see our students serving this week at VBX, using their gifts. It was great seeing the adults using their gifts. If you haven't gone through our Woodland Uh, discovering woodland classes, I want to encourage you in the fall when they start back up to sign up and go through them. You're going to learn the gifts and talents that God has given you. You're going to learn how you can use those to better serve others. You're going to understand why you're shaped the way you are and Heinz will take you through that and and you'll, you'll have a better understanding. Because when you serve others, you're not only going to impact your own life, you're going to impact the individuals you're serving, and you're going to impact others as well. The lives of the people, the family of the people that you're serving is going to be impacted as well. And as you serve, I want to encourage you, bring your children along with you. Let them see how you serve. Let them see you serving because when they see it, they will follow in your footsteps as well. 1 Peter 4.10 says, God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. And that's the beauty about the body of Christ is that your gift may not be my gift and my gift may not be your gift. And so as we come together as the body of Christ, we can come together as one and use our giftings to help reach people and be able to minister to people because we need you. And we need those gifts and talents. And so use them. And then finally, six, I said, model it. Model it. Let your children, let your grandchildren, let others around you see it. Prepare your children and encourage them by showing them what it means to be a passionate follower of Christ. Show them what it means to serve. 
Show them what it means to live a life of greatness. Let them know that God has a great plan for their lives. Teach them by modeling what a passionate follower of Christ is and that there's nothing more satisfying than serving Him and following after Christ. Psalm 1611 says, You have given me the path to life, and you make me glad by being near to me. Sitting at your right side, I will always be joyful. There's just something about bringing someone alongside you and modeling it. When they're close by, they get to see what is taking place. They get to see how you live. They get to see how you act. They get to see how you interact. When we come and we worship God, God comes alongside of us. He's near to us and we get to experience Him. And in the same way, when we model our lives to others, they get to see Christ as well. A number of years ago, there was a survey of 100 people, or a survey of people who are 100 years or older. And the study asked these individuals if they had any regrets in their lives. And one of the top answers of the survey was that they wished they could leave something that lived beyond themselves. They wish that they lived a, a life of greatness. Or another way of saying it is that they wish they would have been able to leave a legacy, something that they were going to be remembered for, which would be passed on to, to succeeding generations. And although it's one of the greatest desires of humanity, most people are forgotten a generation or two after their death. And I think one of the reasons why we fail to leave a legacy is our focus. John Maxwell puts it this way, achievement comes to someone when he is able to do great things for himself. Success comes when he empowers followers to do great things with them. But a legacy is created only when a person puts his organization into a position to do great things without him. What we leave as a legacy reveals our priorities. It shouts how we want to be remembered. It unveils whether we pointed to Jesus or us. It's the testimony of God's work in our lives, the spiritual inheritance or baton that we leave to others. And God's plan for the church has always been that one generation would pass the baton of the testimony of Jesus to the next generation until his return. And you and I are just one in a series of runners. And I like that. You and I are a series of runners passing the baton to the next generation. When I ran track, I, I ran relay races, and, and they instilled into us and kept telling us that the exchange, the, the handoff from one person passing on the baton to the next person was the most critical and crucial part of the race. More important than the start, it was the passing of the baton because how you passed it could determine if you won or lost. It could determine if you get disqualified or not. And I remember in... One race, we were running, we were in first. And as I was running and as I was passing the baton on to the next person, we fumbled it. And the baton bounced out and we got disqualified. But I also remember another race 
where we fumbled the baton, passing. It wasn't a clean exchange. I passed it on to the next person. He grabbed it, and he took off, and he ran. And as strange as it sounds, we actually set a school record in that race. We won and set a school record. See, passing the baton is important. Passing it who to the next person is crucial. Because they're the ones that are going to be running after us. And we need to make sure we set them up to succeed. We need to make sure we set them up to win the race. See, it's my prayer that we would live a life of greatness, that we would live a life of godly legacy for generations to come, that we would run this race passionately, that we'd run it for God, and that we would show others what it's like to run.